Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 22nd edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In a new WCAB panel decision, a belligerent truck driver's misdemeanor conviction was a valid defense to his workers' compensation claim. In this case, Christopher Johnson was a truck driver for a trucking company making runs from California to Arizona. On one of his trips, he was stopped for an illegal U-turn by the Arizona State Police. Video footage taken from inside the cab of the truck showed Johnson arguing with the officers, refusing to identify himself, provide his driver's license, registration, or insurance cards, and he refused to comply with any of their instructions or orders. So as you might guess, he was forcibly removed from the cab of the semi-truck and pulled to the ground, which caused him injury for which he filed this work comp claim. He was arrested for five misdemeanors and taken off to an Arizona jail. He eventually pled guilty to two of the five charges pending against him, both of them misdemeanors. Following a trial of his California workers' compensation claim, the work comp judge found that Johnson did in fact sustain an injury during his physical altercation with the Arizona police. The WCJ then considered two affirmative defenses raised by the employer. The work comp judge did not agree with the employer's initial physical aggressor defense under Labor Code Section 3600A7. As the applicant never made any overt moves or threatening gestures to the officers to warrant this finding. But the work comp judge granted a Libra Code Section 3600A81 defense based on Johnson's pleading guilty to two misdemeanor charges. Johnson's petition for reconsideration of this finding was denied in the panel decision of Johnson versus Lexmar Distribution. On reconsideration, Johnson argued that this labor code provision requires that he be convicted of a felony and that since he was convicted only of misdemeanors, it did not bar his benefits. This provision of the labor code provides that benefits are to be paid where the injury is not caused by the commission of a felony or a crime which is punishable as specified in Subdivision B of Section 17 of the Penal Code by the injured employee for which he or she has been convicted. Johnson pled guilty to two misdemeanors in Arizona, both of which were classified as misdemeanors carrying the potential of jail time and fines even though they are misdemeanors. Accordingly, Section 3600 applies and his rights to workers' compensation was barred. Ventura County's organized health system and three medical care providers have agreed to pay a total of $70.7 million to settle civil allegations that they broke federal and state laws by submitting false claims to Medi-Cal. The parties that entered into the three separate settlement agreements are Ventura County, which owns and operates Ventura County Medical Center, an integrated health care system that provides hospitals, clinics, and specialty services. Ventura County Medi-Cal Managed Care Commission, which does business as Gold Coast Health Plan, a county organized health system that contracts to arrange for the provision of health care services under Medi-Cal in Ventura County. 
And the third party was Dignity Health, a San Francisco-based not-for-profit hospital system that operates two acute care hospitals in Ventura County. And Clinicia del Camino Real Incorporated, a nonprofit healthcare organization headquartered in Camarillo, California. Back in January 2014, Medi-Cal was expanded to cover the previously uninsured adult expansion population. These were certain adults between the ages of 19 and 64. The federal government fully funded the expansion coverage for the first three years of the program. If a California agency did not spend at least 85% of the funds it received for the adult expansion population on allowed medical expenses, the agency was required to pay the difference back to the state, and California in turn was required to return that amount back to the federal government. The three settlements resolve allegations that Gold Coast, Ventura County, Dignity, and Clinicias submitted false claims to Medi-Cal under this program. As a result of the settlements, Gold Coast will pay $17.2 million to the United States. Ventura County will pay $29 million to the United States. Dignity will pay $10.8 million to the United States and $1.2 million to the state of California. And Clinicas will pay $11.25 million to the United States and $1.25 million to the state of California. Gold Coast and Ventura County are also required to implement centralized risk assessment programs as part of their compliance and each hire an independent review organization to complete annual reviews. An Orange County defense lawyer's victory lap turned his medical malpractice jury trial victory into, at least for now, a defeat. When his medical malpractice trial concluded in April, the defendant, in this case Dr. S.M. Korashi, left an Orange County civil courtroom in victory. Swiftly and unanimously, 12 jurors had decided that the gastroenterologist had not been responsible for the death of his patient. That was before his lawyer, Robert McKenna III, appeared in an online celebration video bragging of his work and saying the case involved, in his words, a guy that was probably negligently killed, but we kind of made it look like other people did it. Citing McKenna's video remarks, the judge who presided over the trial has vacated the verdict, ordering the case back to court. Orange County Superior Court Judge James Crandall said at an August 4th hearing that he thinks he has to protect the system and say that plaintiffs deserve a new trial here. This case involves Enrique Garcia Sanchez, a forklift operator who was admitted to South Coast Global Medical Center in Santa Ana back in 2017 complaining of severe abdominal pain from alcohol-related pancreatitis. The doctor inserted a feeding tube that accidentally pierced his colon and led to a fatal infection. Central to the family's case was the death certificate, which blamed the death on sepsis and peritonitis due to a tube perforated colon. In the doctor's defense, his attorney pointed to errors by other hospital staff 
and argued that Sanchez died from other causes. He told jurors to disregard the death certificate, derided the personal injury industrial complex, and claimed the suit was a form of extortion. Shortly after winning the case, McKenna gathered with colleagues at an office celebration and invited a legal partner to ring a victory bell. A video of McKenna's boastful comments was posted to his firm's social media page, but was quickly removed amid backlash in online legal forums. McKenna apologized for what he called his imprecise remarks and said they were intended purely as an internal briefing to his staff that he did not know would be posted. But the Superior Court judge said he found the celebration video to be extremely important and went on to say that bragging isn't a great irregularity, but bragging that justice was not done is what bothers the court. However, the Superior Court judge did say that Mr. McKenna was an excellent lawyer with a reputation for honesty and integrity, adding that good men do make mistakes. McKenna did not respond to requests for a comment. And now our crime report. A Beverly Hills anesthesiologist, Randy Rosen, MD, has been accused of insurance fraud in several criminal and civil proceedings over the last several years. The accusations included defrauding the California workers' compensation system and later schemes targeting sober living homes. He has now entered a guilty plea in Orange County Superior Court along with his co-defendant, Liza Vismanos, who is the owner of the Wellness Wave Surgical Center in Beverly Hills and the Lotus Labs Medical Laboratory in Los Alamitos. The first criminal case in Orange County against him was filed back in 2016, alleging that he entered into an agreement with Karim Ahmed and his companies, Physicians Funding Solutions LLC, MedRx, and Healthcare Finance Management to distribute transdermal compound creams, which were manufactured by Kurtz Compounding Pharmacy in Orange County, and then distributed to workers' compensation patients treated by Dr. Rosen. And they allege that Rosen received kickbacks in exchange for his efforts. The couple was also charged with the aggravated white-collar crime enhancement for losses exceeding $100,000 and $105,000. And in a second Orange County criminal case, he and Lisa Vismanos were arrested in June 2020, on a combined 144 counts, including money laundering, submitting fraudulent insurance claims, and withholding material facts on insurance claims. In this second criminal case, the two entered into a fraud scheme specifically targeting patients from addiction recovery rehabs to bill their private medical insurance carriers primary for two types of procedures, a non-FDA-approved now Trexone implant, and cortisone injections. Rosen performed these procedures in as little as one-minute increments with as many as 72 procedures per day. He also collected blood and urine from his patients, which was processed at the Liza Vismanos-owned Lotus Labs with no known medical necessity. 18 insurance companies were billed nearly $662 million dollars and the two received in excess of $51 million in payments. 
The two were also accused of using two body broker groups that would sell Rosen patients in exchange for a kickback of the insurance proceeds. The marketers would often pay the patients uh, up to $500 to $2,000 per procedure to incentivize them to return to Rosen for multiple procedures. And if these two cases were not enough, Rosen was also involved in a civil federal lawsuit filed by the State Compensation Insurance Fund involving a workers' compensation fraud scheme at the infamous Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. Skiff and Rosen reported a settlement of that case between them in July 2016, but the terms of the settlement were not disclosed. And now this August, Rosen pleaded guilty to several counts of the criminal case in Orange County with an aggravated white-collar crime enhancement while scores of other charges were dismissed. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but will get credit for the two years he has already served awaiting trial. His companion, Vismanos, pleaded guilty on Friday to insurance fraud and had dozens of charges dismissed. She will face home confinement. The Orange County District Attorney said that this is the largest prison sentence for a provider in a California workers' compensation insurance fraud in his county. Azizula Aziz Kamali and his medical corporation have agreed to pay nearly $2 million to resolve allegations that they submitted millions of dollars of false claims to Medicare for surgically implanted neurotransstimulators and for paying kickbacks to sales marketers. Kamali is an internal and geriatric medicine physician practicing in Stockton, California. He offers our auricular electroacupuncture using a battery-operated device that provides intermittent electrical stimulation to the inside of a patient's ear. He submitted claims to Medicare for these supposedly surgically implanted devices, but he did not perform surgery or implant any devices. Instead, he just taped a disposable electroacupuncture device called Stevax to the patient's ears and Stevax devices do not require surgical implantation and are not reimbursable by Medicare. Needles are inserted into the patient's ear and also affixed using another adhesive. Once activated, the device provides intermittent stimulation by electrical pulses. It is a single-use, battery-powered device designed to be worn for several days until its battery runs out, at which time the device is thrown away. Other brand names for this device includes P-STEM or NeuroStim. Another is Ansysstim, ePulse, and NSS2 Bridge. Kamali also admitted he paid a marketing company a percentage of the reimbursements received from Medicare, which violated the federal anti-kickback statute. Over the last several years, there have been several enforcement actions against other practitioners, and the federal government has litigated at least 15 similar cases in other states within the last few years using these similarly named products. And in regulatory news, 
San Jose applicant attorney Joe Capuro has been appointed as a commissioner to the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board. He graduated with a BA in political science from California State University, Hayward, in 1977, and he went on to earn a Juris Doctor from the Santa Clara University School of Law. He has been a certified specialist in the field of workers' comp for over 20 years and has practiced workers' compensation law since he was admitted to the California Bar back in 1980. He was an attorney and managing partner of Capuro, Roca, and Schmidt from 1980 to 2012 before moving into his solo law practice. He's an active member of the California Applicants' Attorneys Association and has served as a member of its board of directors and is co-chair of the Amicus Curry Committee. In 1999, he appeared for the California Applicants' Attorneys Association's Amicus in the landmark case of Joe Notrica v. State Fund. Joe Notrica was doing business as Notrica's 32nd Street Market, and he sued the state fund to recover in tort and for unfair business practices based on allegations relating to Skiff's case reserve and claims handling policies and practices. The jury awarded Mr. Notrica nearly $480,000 in compensatory damages and $20 million in punitives. State Fund appealed that case, and the Court of Appeal reduced the punitive damages to $5 million, but otherwise affirmed the trial court. His position with the WCAB requires Senate confirmation, and his compensation is nearly $171,000 a year. Construction is one of the most dangerous industries in the United States, due in part to the presence of major work-related hazards such as falls, the leading cause of death among construction workers. Despite ongoing efforts to improve awareness and use of fall protection and fall prevention solutions, 353 workers died from falls in 2020 alone and fall protection in construction remained the most frequently cited OSHA violation across all industries for the ninth consecutive year. The Center for Construction Research and Training, CPWR, conducted a survey of persons who experienced, witnessed, or investigated a workplace fall incident to better understand why serious falls from heights continue to occur with such frequency despite being preventable. Its preliminary report concluded that a lack of adequate planning is a key underlying cause of falls, since insufficient or ineffective planning was the most selected primary cause for 27.4% of falls, according to the survey. Nearly half of respondents said that no fall protection was being used at the time of the fall, and it found that rescue training may help reduce fall-related deaths since the odds of a fall being fatal were 76% lower for those who had self-rescue training compared to those who did not have this training. Workers employed by subcontractors face an elevated risk of dying from falls, since data showed that individuals who work for a subcontractor at the time of the fall incident were 2.7 times more likely to die from the fall compared to those who work for a general contractor.
When fall protection was being used, 31.3% used a personal fall arrest system and 16.1% used guardrails. So what were the consequences to employers for a fall? Well, 31.7% suffered no consequences at all. 25.5% had an OSHA citation or penalty. And 19.5% said they had higher insurance premiums. The WCIRB has published an update to the loss elimination ratios used in computation of classification relativities in the recently approved September 1, 2022 regulatory filing. And the WCIRB has also updated other tables, including the Advisory California Retrospective Rating Plan, California Large Risk Deductible Plan, and California Small Deductible Plan. Retrospective rating provides for the adjustment of a risk standard premium for workers' comp insurance after expirations of its policy or policies based on the loss experience. The large risk deductible plan permits an employer who is insured for its workers' comp liability to reimburse the insurer for losses incurred up to an agreed-upon deductible amount. In exchange for this, And for agreeing to reimburse the insurer, the employer receives a premium reduction. The minimum deductible under the large risk deductible plan is $100,000 per accident or per employee, and higher amounts are available. The California small deductible plan also permits an employer to reimburse the insurer for losses, and the employer also receives a premium reduction. The minimum deductible amount available under this small deductible plan is $500 and the maximum deductible amount is $75,000. And there's a minimum estimated premium of $5,000 which is required to be eligible for this small deductible plan. Advisory plans are developed by the WCIRB for the convenience of its members and were submitted to the insurance commissioners for informational purposes only, but they do not bear the official approval of the California Department of Insurance and are not regulations. An insurer must make an independent assessment regarding the use of these plans based on its particular facts and circumstances. Back in 2015, Congress passed the Federal Civil Penalties Inflation Adjustment Act, Adjustment Improvement Act to advance the effectiveness of administrative civil monetary penalties and to maintain their deterrent effect. Under this act, federal agencies such as OSHA were required to publish catch-up rules that adjusted the level of civil monetary penalties and then make subsequent annual adjustments for inflation. Prior to this act, OSHA's maximum penalties had not been raised since 1990, but the catch-up provision increased OSHA penalties by 78% in 2016 as the top penalty for serious violations rose from $7,000 to $12,471 and the maximum penalty for willful or repeated violations increased from $70,000 to $124,709 as part of the catch-up 
clause. Following the implementation of the catch-up provisions of this act, OSHA has increased its penalties annually. And in January 2022, OSHA maximum penalties for serious and other than serious violations increased from $13,653 to $14,502 per violation. And the maximum penalty for willful or repeated violations increased from $136,000 to $145,027 per violation. Yet in September 2021, House Democrats passed a $3.5 trillion reconciliation tax package, which proposed to raise the maximum fine for willful or repeat violations to $700,000, with a $50,000 minimum. According to a status report just published by the National Law Review, they say that employers can breathe a sigh of relief for now as it appears that Senate Democrats are no longer pursuing this massive increase in OSHA penalties. The most recent update to the reconciliation spending bill is still being debated by the U.S. Senate, and it did not mention or include any provisions for raising the cap on civil monetary penalties for OSHA citations. And in medical news, researchers with AIMED Alliance, a nonprofit that seeks to protect and enhance the rights of healthcare consumers and providers, say that doctors are so fed up with the constant headaches caused by insurers that now two-thirds would, be rec- would recommend against pursuing a career in medicine, and nearly half of them are considering a con- career, career change themselves altogether. For this study, the organization polled 600 physicians in the U.S. practicing either family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, or obstetrics gynecology. The group sought to understand the extent to which insurance requirements impact primary care physicians, their practices, and their patients on a day-to-day basis. They also wanted to get a better understanding of mental health issues among providers as well as the causes behind the national provider shortage. Unsurprisingly, researchers found that physicians do not think very highly of health insurance companies and believe they're putting patients at risk with policies such as prior authorizations ahead of filling prescriptions. In fact, 87% of doctors say patients' conditions have grown worse because of such red tape regulations, and 83% worry that patients will suffer prolonged pain as a result. Prior authorizations are especially bothersome for doctors, as 91% of those surveyed think the policy delays necessary care for their patients. And the same number of doctors agree insurers engaged in non-medical switching, which forces patients to take less costly but potentially less effective medicines. And such policies are stressing many physicians out. 37% say half or more of their daily stress is caused by insurance issues, and 65% feel they're facing greater legal risks because of decisions made by their insurers. The vast majority majority of the doctors, that's 85%, 
are left frustrated by such issues, they say. And the survey showed that 77% of doctors have had to hire more staffers to handle the heavier administrative load from insurance work. And 90% say they have less time to spend with patients because of this burden. When doctors were asked what they would like to see changed most, the 55% agreed on an insurer's ability to override the professional judgment of physicians. And doctors believe that insurers are contributing to the rising cost of health care more than anything else, including pharmaceutical companies, government policies, lawsuits, or hospitals. The organization hopes their study will provide lawmakers solid data when attempting to reform health care laws and regulations related to utilization management and provider shortages. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Skarin Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.